Last year, we closed at 300,000 in revenue and we're on track. Our next goal is to hit a million by, yeah, by the end of the year. At Founder, we're on a mission to democratize entrepreneurial education and on our way to building one of the largest online schools in the world for entrepreneurs. We interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it so you can too. However, in this series, we're doing things a little differently. We're working with our own students in our community who are deep within the process of building our own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow, who've stood where you are and are on the way to building the business of their dreams. Now, before we jump in, our lawyers have told us to tell you this. Of course, we can't guarantee you'll have the results like some of our stories are about to share in this show. And as you know, with any business, it's a lot of hard work in addition to completing any online course. And with that said, welcome to From Zero to Founder. Molly here. I'm the community manager for Founder Magazine and welcome to this series From Zero to Founder. I'm super excited to sit down with one of our Start and Scale students, Mia Moon, and founder of Theo and Brom, which specializes in Belgium chocolate. Before taking the course, Mia didn't even have a company and now she's on track to making a million dollars this year. This is such an inspiring story, so let's just get into it. Hey Mia, thank you so much for joining me today and speaking to me about your journey and as well as everything to do with your business. I guess the first question, the most important question, why not tell me a little bit about yourself, your business and uh, where you're located? First, thanks for having me, Molly. I'm always thrilled to be part of anything founder. (laughs) I am Mia Moons and for those of you that I have not had the privilege to meet, I am a Filipino-American entrepreneur who is now based in Ghent, Belgium. So my founder journey started in 2018 when I moved here for for marriage. I met my husband while traveling as a digital nomad, and we basically traveled for about another year before settling down and choosing his city to be our home base. And I was leaving a life of um, being into sales and marketing for the past decade. So I basically uprooted myself and found myself in a country where I don't understand the language. And I just knew that there was no way in my capacity that I would be at a professional level, even if I learned it. So here they speak Dutch and French and German. So like English is not even in the list of official languages. Of course, they speak English, but it's not an official language. So I guess that's harder for me to find, let's say, a job, you know, to settle down and find roots to begin again a new career. And I was just searching one day on the Internet, like, what could I possibly do while I find my way here in my new life? And I just knew that since I had, you know, a knack for sales and marketing, that maybe I could just go down that rabbit hole and see what I find. And thankfully, I found the course of Start and Scale. And I also found a friend there, like somebody I really knew who also took the, the, the course. And that was it for me. So Theo and Brahm was born. It's basically a fusion of two cultures. Uh, Filipino and Belgian and everything that has to do with um, our chocolates. So since then, it's been an amazing journey. And yeah, 2021, we're still here. (laughs) Such an inspiring story. I think like I don't know how you could do it, uproot your life and move somewhere, especially not knowing the language. So that's very, very amazing. My like I'm just blown away by that. But I guess, so you mentioned how you were almost like a digital nomad. Um, How long were you in sales and marketing? Did you like work for another company or you were kind of having your own business doing that? It was half and half. I'd say I was more of an independent contractor for um, an exclusive personal care brand. At first it was just skincare and then it extended into health and wellness. So I'd say it's generally personal care. And I did that for about 10 years. I was one of the first team leaders to expand into social media and understand how, you know, it's so powerful to speak that language, how to sell on social. And that was also a stepping stone for me to finally you know, branch out into my own business and apply all the skills and 
things that I've learned from that. But of course, I still needed a lot of things to polish, if I, if you may. That yeah. makes complete sense. And I think also having that experience, like you said, would help anyone kind of have the, the drive and the, I guess, pull towards creating your own business, which is amazing. Um, so you moved to Belgium how long ago? In 2018, summer of 2018. Amazing. And did you start trying to apply for jobs there in sales and marketing and you kind of had that difficulty trying to get those jobs like you mentioned? Or was it kind of like, this is going to be a new start for me, I need to try and branch out and discover something? Oh, that's actually a very good question, Molly, because I didn't even reach the application process because again, the language, yeah, that was just like the major barrier. So I'm like, oh, I don't think I'm qualified because it's so intimidating to see, oh, language langu- must be fluent in Dutch and French, preferably both in English. I'm like, okay, I only took off one from the list and it's not even the priority. So it's like, great. I won't even try applying. So yeah, that was difficult. And it was confronting because um, you know, being very independent and um, career driven before I settled down, suddenly I just felt useless or, you know, like, ah, I, I hope I could, yeah, build something again from scratch. And I think it takes immense courage and like accepting what is and believing that you can for what will be. Of course. Yeah, I can only imagine. And from that, I guess, not even getting to the application course, what stood out to you about the Start and Scale course against any others that you probably could have stumbled across Googling? I like the idea that despite it being based elsewhere, of course, I knew that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't European, it wasn't American. And then through a friend, I saw that, wow, it is uh, down south in Australia, down under <laughs> in Australia. Um, so the remote, the remote factor attracted me. It means that, okay, it is not sensitive to geography or location and I can still do this. And formerly being a digital nomad, I knew that that was very important for me. The ability to have independence, location independence and remote work. Uh, Second, um, it was through my friend's testimonial. And they were, I think, part of the video that I saw when I was checking out the Start and Scale course. Uh, They're a couple, Rachel uh, from Gammon Traveler. And yeah, so that that was the thing that made it for me. Incredible. And I guess prior to this, had you ever heard of our instructor Greta before? Yes, through Rachel as well. She said that this this um, this mentor of hers is amazing, and she has scaled several businesses, not just one, into multi million dollar businesses. And I'm like sold. And yeah, she's a woman. Let's do this. <laughs> it gives all the more you know empowerment to what I wanted to build. I didn't really know what I wanted to build back then, but you know that's just that's just a shining example. So. Definitely. And I guess you just touched upon it then. You didn't have an idea when you first kind of started the course. What and how did you even develop your idea to create um, Theo and Brum? It was, I guess, a mix of intuition and just following your gut as to where it led you. I must admit that I did not have a passion for sweets or anything. Yeah, like desserts before I launched the brand. My husband keeps telling me, don't say that, (laughs) that's gonna hurt you. But I'm like, but that's the real story. All my friends were like, huh, a chocolate brand? You, you don't even eat dessert. Well, now I do. (laughs) I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. But because of, you know, you put education and structure and match it with the intuition that you have, understanding that, oh, this could probably be a product that touches on Many of the things that I also go through, you know, the nostalgia, missing home, um, the idea of maximizing what you have in your environment, Belgium being known for chocolates, and the Philippines having a very strong tradition as well in terms of chocolates because we have 
we, I mean, the cocoa trees that are planted in the Philippines actually came from Mexico during the galleon trade from way, way, way back. So, you know, those all coming into play just, yeah, created that light bulb moment where I was like, I think this is worth a try. And it's a beautiful story. My husband's Belgian. I'm Filipina. We're bringing together, you know, all things about chocolate from the Philippines and Belgium. Let's see how it's going to work. <laughs> I find it very interesting because you did say that you're not very, I guess, a dessert-oriented person or you're not into sweets and things like that. Did you find then the process of actually creating this hybrid between, I guess, two different tastes or at least two different countries really challenging? Of course it was challenging because, one, I was an outsider looking in. And, you know, it was funny when I was trying to pitch the idea to – um, manufacturers who could probably help me create the um, the chocolate. Oh, that's my baby. I have a newborn. He's four months old. <laughs> um, yeah, they were like, who are you? And what are you trying to do? And like, you know, they they turned me down politely, but I knew it was quite a long shot. And it was only, it took one person to believe in my idea. And it just led me to the people who helped me develop the recipe and, and our brand and our product. So I guess that's also one thing. It was just my relentlessness and my resourcefulness <laughs> that allowed me to launch eventually, even if I'm not the chef making the products, even if I'm not yeah, the expert in chocolate. What what helped me so much is to outsource these things and outsource smartly wherein, you know, it didn't really take a lot of money in the beginning because I know many people would be like, ah, but probably you had the funds to outsource. I'm like, no, I was just, you know, good old fashioned networking and just believing in your idea and having somebody pitch in to believe in it until it made money. <laughs> yeah. No, of course. Yeah. Wow. Like, I guess I wouldn't even know where to start. So I can imagine from, like you mentioned, an outsider looking in, it would have been very daunting. But how did you kind of, you know, cross your T's and dot your I's when it came to who you needed in your manufacturing process to actually have your vision come to life? At first, it started, of course, with a very general and broad search. So online, you know, dear old Google, and then you type in the keywords and see whatever you find. And then you just narrow narrow the path from there. Um, an interesting story was that, so I created this spreadsheet of all the possible manufacturers. And, you know, I just vetted them according to what they said on their website. And I really didn't know. And I was pitching through email, you know, through their info at <laughs> or contact at emails. And I didn't even know who I was speaking to because I didn't have a network here. And finally, so that spreadsheet was um, alphabetically sorted and everybody said no, probably more than 30, I forget now how many people I sent that email to. And the last one that replied and actually said yes, had letter Z as the beginning of their company name. So it's like Zoto. And finally, she became my cacao scientist. So she's um, one of the lead cacao scientists in the world. And she recently came from the Philippines. I, this was totally a coincidence. And she was like, did you find me through the Filipino network of, you know, cacao producers there? I'm like, no, I had no idea that you were there. And she was like, and I know exactly what you're trying to make. Because with her visit from the Philippines, she got to try the traditional chocolates there, you know, the very raw and rustic tablea, which is our core product. And then she's like, I think I know exactly who to speak with so that we can manufacture your prototype. I'm like, awesome, let's do this. And that's another woman. So it's like, woo, Women's Month. So it's very exciting to think back on these um, nuggets of, yeah, of wisdom and like memories where women empowering women and, and all that. It's crazy how everything just aligns and works together when you have a vision and you're so passionate towards it. And I think that's always like a common theme. And I know a lot of people listening, it's it's nice when you have passion towards something, but it definitely also helps because if you're going to dedicate your life to it, like you have and what you plan to, you know, starting and uprooting everything to have this success over in a different country, it's very interesting. Exactly. Very, very interesting. Yes. And I guess that kind of leads me on to my next question. I was going to ask, I guess it's very unknown, I guess, having the hybrid of these two different 
um, confections. Is it typically your main product? You mentioned it before. Is it a sweet or is it a bitter chocolate? Having her, your cacao scientist, knowing, I guess, the history behind that product, she knew how to nail the taste or did you have familiarity with it too? I had familiarity with the raw product that we had from the Philippines because, you know, that's just unadulterated. That's from the cacao bean, you know, they grind it. It's not even fermented. And then you can make like a good cup of cocoa from it. Um, But Zoe, who's my lead cacao scientist. So she's, yeah, she's an expert in that. And she knows which beans to source. So just like wine, you know, the, the taste of it, the taste profile varies um, from bean to bean and from where it's grown. Yeah. She knows all of that. So (laughs) I just leave that to her. And she knew the craft chocolate maker who had the skill and expertise to actually experiment with her so that we could create that product. So that was the prototype. And in, and originally that was the only thing I was intending to produce, you know, and scale from there so that we can grow and see, you know, just see if we can tap into other markets, other countries to expand where the Filipino population was, was pretty big in terms of the immigrant population as well. However, COVID happened. So I'm like fast forwarding from 2018 to, uh oh, 2020 was there. And then we were like, we were coming back from a vacation from Los Angeles, uh, my husband and I, and that was right before the lockdown. And then we realized, oh my goodness. Yeah. How are we going to, how are we going to continue my business? He has a different business altogether. Um, How are we going to continue my business if our largest market was the United States and we couldn't bring the chocolates from here to there anymore. The export costs just, yeah, were, were skyrocketing. It was three times um, what we originally paid for. So it wasn't profitable anymore to continue on with that setup, plus the lockdowns, plus all those, yeah, difficulties that everybody faced during 2020. So we were able to pivot. I was able to pivot by connecting, um, with a friend from my old networks in the Philippines and we produced an entirely new product using our base chocolate. So we ended up having cakes and I'd say, yeah, this was our, our maverick, our maverick product that saved our brand. And we even, so through the course of um, six months from June to December of 2020, when, you know, I was about to throw in the towel, I'm like, yeah, whatever, you know, COVID, I'll just, yeah, call it quits. It's fine. You know, I had no control over the pandemic. Um, We were able to 5X our revenue and, and it was through cakes and another product called the Goo Goo Jar, which is made like a, a spread, a gooey spread from our base chocolate, but it's the first Tablea spread as well. So now all our operations, since COVID is still not really, you know, gone in most parts of the world, our operations are now fully in the Philippines and I still am able to manage it remotely. I have a team there now and um, several partner companies that do outsourcing for us, fulfillment, warehousing, the whole supply chain and, um, a line kitchen, a, a partner that has a line kitchen that produces our our goods. So we're not just into chocolate now; we're also into pastries. So we're very, very happy. Wow, <laughs> what a story! I feel like that's. I love that COVID's made you flip it, and it's just ten x your company. That's amazing. But I'm really interested, actually. Before we jump into your other products, I'd love to know more about. You know, you said that how you've got all your manufacturing in the Philippines now. How has that changed? Like, what did you start off with compared to where you are now? Because I think that contrast would just be so interesting for everyone listening. I started with, okay, so this is fun because I'd like to talk about how small the scale was when I started. So our our batch of, of beans to create our first prototype was just 20 kilos. And that's just like, you know, one suitcase when you travel. <laughs> it's too funny. And it was even hand carried by the bean supplier who normally exports, exports in metric tons, you know. But they were traveling for the chocolate festival here in Europe. And then Zoe, my 
uh, my cacao scientist was like, hey, can you just carry this type of beans in your suitcase for us? And then they were like, yeah, sure, whatever. And it was 20 kilos. And I remember I didn't even have enough funds to basically fund that. And it was my husband, you know, giving me the base capital to run my first my first experimental batch to see if, you know, this, this formulation or this, this recipe would work. And I remember our first sale was so small, like we were launching the first 100 boxes. And I thought, and to me, that was already a lot. (laughs) And, and it's good that I didn't know how small we were, I guess. You know, I was just really thrilled with the progress that I was making. And for anybody starting their entrepreneurship journey, what's important is you know that you're progressing from one point to another. And it helps that I don't really look around in terms of the competition. And this is one thing that I probably trained myself to do even before I jumped into my own entrepreneurship journey it's just more of, yeah, this tactic that I learned for sales and marketing during my stint at my former, um, my former career is just focus on you and, you know, beat your personal best instead of like looking around at what others are able to accomplish. They of course have their own journey. They have their own story. And sometimes you may be empowered, but many times you may also feel, you know, lacking in many ways. And that's just taken out of context if you start comparing yourself with the progress of others. So for me, you know, I just realized how small I was looking back. And it's cool because back then I felt very big already. And I think that's important because you feel full. (laughs) I agree. And it's all about celebrating the little wins because like some people have the idea and they get stuck at that point and then they don't progress any further. Whereas one sale, let alone producing a hundred bags is, is amazing. So I guess you, you mentioned, obviously you've grown from a hundred bags or that first 20 kilos. How, what was the timeline? Was it 20 kilos one month? And then was that consistent for a year or what did you grow? How, how did that happen? Hey there, Nathan Chan here, see on publisher of founder magazine. If you're enjoying from zero to founder, and you want to learn from some of the greatest entrepreneurs of our generation, then I highly recommend you also subscribe and check out the Founder Podcast. We talk to some of the most successful people on the planet to discover how they're building their businesses. So you can take a front row seat as we go deep and we learn from some of the founders of brands like Netflix, Dropbox, Reebok, and so many more, and how they built these companies. You can find the Founder Magazine podcast with Nathan Chan on all podcast platforms. Make sure you subscribe. All right, now let's get back into the show. The first year, of course, it wasn't that consistent. Um, So it was like first 100, that was bootstrapping that whole thing. You know, are you going to buy our first boxes? (laughs) And I hope you like it, fingers crossed, you know, because you also don't know if, you know, people would love the the formulation. It's an entirely new product. It's, yeah, we used um, straightforward ingredients. However, you don't know if they'd like it. And we've also received feedback that, I don't like the chocolate that much. So yeah, it's okay. It's taste, you know. And then um, through the first few months after that launch, we were able to fund our our small crowdfunding campaign. And that was for me to open our operations in the United States. So just, you know, $10,000, basically the objective of that was to create that supply chain. And then from there, you know, use that capital um, to continue on supplying to the U.S. So it was up and down. Um, Some months were not so good. Black Friday was upcoming. So that was, that was generally always okay for many e-commerce companies, whether you're big or small, as long as you participate, you know, you're just going to catch some of the market there. But we had a major win during our first year when we closed our first corporate account. And it was a Belgian uh, corporate a corporation that just, I guess, got fascinated by the idea. You know, we sent our pitch in April and then we heard back from them in November when they were about to send out the rewards for their customers, I think. So that was like a, our first bulk order that, yeah, I've never seen 
again, looking back, it's very small, but I've never seen that much, um, yeah, zeros, I guess, in my bank account here in Belgium. It's too funny. (laughs) And that was exciting. So from there, you know, it built up um, more capital for me and it, it helped us as well to be in a more stable financial position. And when your finances are good, then it allows you finally to have better decisions and faster decisions, if you will. But of course, I waited about a year and a half before, you know, we could have that first breakthrough. And yeah, patience is always rewarded, I'd say, as long as you keep going, no matter what. Great advice. And I I agree with that statement. Very, very true. And how long did it take you to actually raise the 10K that you needed from funding? I only put two weeks for that Kickstarter crowdfunding. I only, yeah, I was like, if this is going to happen, it has to be quick and it's not even a big amount. So I just need enough people to believe in it (laughs) to, you know, to just jump in and, and yeah, pitch it. So two weeks and 10K. And I'm sure it would have been nice knowing that the people that were actually donating to that were supporting your brand and your idea, which probably would have given you more motivation in turn to keep creating your product. Exactly. And it was, yeah, just friends telling friends and telling more friends. So, of course, it started with your inner circle and then they tell their network. And then, yeah, even our local Filipino news based in in Belgium picked it up as well. So that helped in terms of mileage. So yay, we were very thrilled with the help of the community. No, which is incredible. And I I guess it also kind of brings me back around. You mentioned getting your first like corporate, um, I guess, client for your business. And that was within the first year. Um, How did you kind of like market to them? Were you just sending out pitches? Were you using any other marketing channels to help promote your brand? At that moment, no, I didn't, I didn't have the budget for Facebook ads. So (laughs) back then I didn't have it yet. And this one was still through the organic network. I also, you know, made it a point to intentionally find new connections, new leads, not only to convert them into, you know, a client, but just to establish my network in, in Belgium, which I knew was a very important thing as my former career in sales and marketing. It was built on, you know, creating your network and expanding your network. So I first um, also applied to several incubators and accelerator groups, and we got into Belgium's largest accelerator group. So it's a, it's called Started at KBC. And then, yeah, we were one of the women-founded businesses that, that got in during that cohort of ours. So we're very happy to be part of that too. And it, it, it taught me as well, you know, to, to audit my, my business. And again, you know, it's a confronting moment where like, yeah, you can't do this alone. It's important for you to have a team of, of co-founders or a team to help you get from where you are to where you want to go. And yeah, it just exposed the many vulnerab- vulnerabilities of my current setup as a young entrepreneur and a young business owner. So it's very helpful for people to always network and yeah, find those connections that will boost not only yourself, but, you know, allow you to boost my um, contributing to that community as well. And you mentioned networking is something that's very, very prominent in your journey and your your business growth. Did you solely network online considering there was kind of that language barrier in between maybe some of your, your closest people in Belgium? Yeah, so mostly when I would do my searches, it would only turn up, of course, the results that had English text on it. <laughs> so it's we're lucky that Belgium is a very... Um, I'd say diverse community in terms of expats because of the EU, you know, this is, it's where Brussels is. And I mean, the EU is in Brussels and, um, and, and our city as well. Ghent is a student city. So there are several 
yeah, nationalities all around. And it's easy to walk into a shop and just speak English. Only that English is not an official language here. That's why it makes it difficult in terms of the professional sense. But in terms of communities, you know, yes, you could easily find um, your bubbles <laughs> if, you, if, if you really search. So it has to be an intentional search, of course. And for me, I had to be the one reaching out because I'm the one who moved here. So I totally understand that I should be creating those spaces for me and finding them if they already exist. Yes, I find that very interesting. And I guess bring it back to kind of what we were talking about earlier, how, you know, you found Zoe, who is your cacao, I guess, chemist. Um, you've networked with a bunch of people that I'm sure gave you very valuable advice. How did you kind of, even as simple as thinking of your branding and your name of your company for something that might not be, I guess, you're not really sweet orientated, how did that all come up? How did you discover that? For the branding, of course, I, again, with intuition, go back to the basics and just follow where you feel it will lead you to that light bulb moment. So I just use this mantra of if we are bridging roots from Belgium and from the Philippines, it led us to why not you know, make a spin out of the root name of cacao, which is Theobroma cacao. And that's where Theo and Brom came from. So also from the root name. (laughs) And there, it worked. (laughs) It worked. (laughs) No, it's, it's very catchy and it's something that's very unique. And I think the thing that definitely sparked it for me is kind of thinking, you know, you don't you don't associate chocolate with that name, but when you actually learn the history of it, it's it's very fascinating and it probably inspires a lot more people to kind of realize how much research that you've put into this product as well. Hmm, that's true. Whenever they ask, like, who's Theo? And then I'm like, it's not really a person. It came from the root name of um, the cacao plant, Theobroma cacao. And then they're like, oh, wow, that is so brilliant. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> it's one of my small wins. It's like, oh, that's a cool brand. No, I, I love it. And I think it's amazing that you've been able to scale so much. And I guess you mentioned how you've got multiple SKUs now. Do you want to walk me through the process? Did you implement your start and scale learnings for each new SKU that you thought of or each new product that you thought of? Well, I guess when I started my, my e-commerce store through Shopify, you just you know, hone that skill because I don't really outsource, you know, fixing up a store, creating, um, I, I, I started to create my own graphics at the beginning. And then of course, when, when you have extra capital as, as the revenue grows, we get to outsource that as well. But when we, when we had our cakes, yeah, did I, of course I applied it, but it felt more like second nature because we've been doing it for about a year, two years, close to two years before we were forced to pivot. So I just kept, you know, going back to some of the courses, the specific chapters in start and scale whenever I needed reviews on like, oh, how did you do that again? What website was that again, where you found those really cool designers? (laughs) You know, those little tidbits that helped And by the time we were forced to pivot and create new products, then it was already, you know, basically part of that chain in our, in our workflow and having access to that is always golden because if, and when I will be training people that will take over my part, which is actually in process already, you know, like I'm training people to take over um, several tasks that I used to oversee, then, you know, you could just easily transfer that knowledge to them. And you, I basically learned that in the comforts of my own living room, which is cool. Like pre-lockdown, I actually learned all I did as if I were in lockdown, because that's how, how I started as an entrepreneur. There's no better way when you know you're stuck at home, you might as well uh, expand the mind and learn something new, which I think is very incredible. But I guess what 
exact methods do you remember from the Start and Scale course that you applied to your business to help you actually succeed and I guess grow to where you are today? Branding, the branding course that Greta, um, that Greta was teaching. And instead of, I, I specifically remember my process when, after I watched those videos, is to visit the, first the brands that she actually created and see if there's a pattern and, you know, try to find the similarities and what insights can you pull through by observing an actual working e-commerce website that this mentor is teaching us. And of course, also looking at the other examples of the start and scale students. And then you see a pattern emerging where, oh, you know, it's a very clear way of communicating what your brand represents. It's you understanding that this brand connects with your audience and and so on and so forth. You know, it's not just about nice colors and a cool sounding name and, you know, like a, a trendy website to boot. Of course, those help, but all those elements have to come together by having a deeper understanding of what you're sharing to the world and who you're speaking to in that world of yours. It'd definitely be a different world to what you're used to, that's for sure. Even having those sales and marketing backgrounds, applying it to your own, I guess, baby business would be so daunting. So I can only imagine. Yes. Uh huh. A lot of it was unlearning. And yeah. it's sometimes harder that you have a background on, um, on those areas and coming into something that you've never tried and you're a total newbie. You also bring in so much baggage of, oh, this is how it's been done. And, oh, apparently it doesn't apply to this. So you also have to be very open to, you know, unlearn some concepts that worked before but are not specifically applicable to this new venture of yours. Which I think is actually very valuable valuable advice because a lot of people, you know, they might be stuck in their ways and think that why aren't I succeeding or anyone listening to this thinking I have X knowledge, why isn't it working? But that's a great, great sentiment to kind of be like sometimes you have to unlearn things to kind of learn how to adapt and and I guess, like you mentioned, in a COVID world, everything's ever-changing. So I guess what results did you achieve by taking the course? You mentioned how you were doing 20 kilos of cacao back X amount, 2018. How is that compared to now? Are you turning over 100 kilos? What What's the difference? So our record month, we did, oh, wow, I, I don't even think in kilos now. So if we're going to compute like the raw chocolate that we use, we did, yeah, like a metric ton in a month. So that's amazing <laughs> from 20 kilos to a metric ton. That's almost like unbelievable. That is such a feat only in like a couple of years. Like congratulations. That's uh, such an achievement. Thank you. But that's I- yeah. I was like computing is that accurate? Yeah, it is. 1,000 kilos. Yeah, yeah. Okay, a metric ton. There you go. <laughs> and I guess that's almost like a pat on your back for realizing like uh, 100 kilos, 20 kilos to now a ton is just insane. And I guess in terms of like when you first started with your revenue, how, you know, how much were you selling back then to, if you don't mind me asking now, is it, you mentioned 5X, is it still 5X? Is it 10X? I, I'm very conservative in terms of my my revenue numbers, of course. Um, but what we used to do in a year, we were we managed to do in a month during yeah during 20, 2020. And wow. that's only counting from June to December because we were basically not operating from the lockdown in March till like May, and then slowly starting to ease in. So, I mean, my revenue back then was really small as well. So, you know, like some people would think, okay, what you did in a year, but that could be like a hundred dollars and it's only you're doing a thousand. Um, I, we, we closed, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're on track to, to surpass, um, yeah, I'm, sh- I'm shy to say this because this is a podcast and it's going to be like in history forever. And I, I'd like to, okay, as an earmark to look back on this. Uh, last year, we closed at 300000 in revenue. And we're on tra- our next goal is to hit a million 
by, yeah, by the end of the year. Fingers crossed if everything goes, yeah. I'm like so amazed by that. And I think it's like what you mentioned, everyone listening, it's a learning curve. And I think you're an inspiration to go from, you know, one place to then a couple years later having this success. And I think it's definitely a pat on the back to you and a testament to your hard work. So definitely don't shortcut yourself with, you know, these goals because it is incredible. And I'm sure a lot of people listening will just be amazed at your story as well. But I guess from this growth, you mentioned Facebook ads now. Is that a channel that you're going down to try and help you get to that goal? That channel definitely helped us boost our business um, in in ways I couldn't imagine. So just to put in a little bit of context, my husband is a funnel hacker and, and a digital marketer. And he's been pressing me for the past two years to like, let's do Facebook ads. Let's do Facebook ads. And I'm like, no, no, I'm still going organic, you know, social selling, Filipinos are everywhere around the world we got this. And he's like, no, no, come on. So during the COVID pivot, we were also in a different space where he was like, look, you have nothing to lose here anymore. Mie. You know, or you, you, his business was not affected because he sells digital products. But for me, you know, who produces manufactures and creates this whole supply chain, he's like, you have nothing to lose here. Let's do a bet. (laughs) I'll, I'll put in the first, um, the first campaign for, for your business. If it doesn't work, then let's call it quits. And if it does, then, you know, I told you so. (laughs) And true enough, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. And it had to work before my very eyes because, again, that's one of the things that I had to unlearn. It was it was like a stronghold where I was just so sold that Facebook ads would not work for my brand, specifically for chocolate, specifically for marketing in the Philippines. I don't know, that whole combination. I had this, yeah, conviction and I was totally utterly convinced that it will not work for that whole combination. And he's like, no, you have to learn this new thing. You have to be open to new things. And I'm happy to be wrong. (laughs) And since then, yes, we have, um, we have launched um, several campaigns, which again, which again, helped our brand um, scale even, even faster. Which is incredible. Um, but I guess, you know, it was a lot of pressure on his shoulders to, to do well with that. But I'm very glad it worked out for you and him in that, in that way. <laughs> um, but I guess, do you use any other marketing channels like email marketing? Is that something that you heavily push or Instagram or social media? Social media, since I had my newborn, so my, my little boy was born in November, I have always been the one hands-on on our social media. And since he was born, um, I've taken a step back a little bit. Um, yeah, just to to be very hands-on during yeah his first six months. So our social media is on pause. And since my husband, again, has been pushing me to explore and learn email marketing, and then now I'm seeing again, it's magic. <laughs> Um, so that's one channel that I have been more active on pursuing, you know, more, more, I wouldn't say campaigns specifically, but, but touching base with, with my audience and our, our existing customers and those whom engaged with our brand and allowed us to send them communications. And it's been, it's been very powerful. So, you know, they know as well that I just gave birth and they, they basically understand this whole story coming from the COVID pivot that we're based in Belgium and all that. So I'd say there's, yeah, there's a small community that are, that are fans of the brand and, and it's beautiful. Each time you send them communications, they, a lot of them reply and, and, not and of course it converts and at the at the end of the day in terms of the marketing and entrepreneur perspective the bottom line is also um not forgotten there <laughs> and i think it's really nice that they know you personally and you have that personal touch on your brand too because i feel like in this day having that connection to the ceo and who's behind all is also a really nice touch so it's great that you ventured into email marketing and you have explored but i guess you know you mentioned COVID and you mentioned going into pastries and was it your goo goo jars? 
Google jar, yeah. Yeah. So I guess with all that happening in the last, what, year because of COVID, what's next for you and your business? We are actually transitioning to be a scale-up. It's funny because before we got in touch, you know, a few days back, I was already um, studying what's the difference of a startup and a scale-up and what are the things that you would need to audit and to and to like improve on in order for you to fall under that category. So at, at this current um, time frame from March until April, we're just going to study all the aspects and departments of the business in order for us to just operate on a larger scale and hopefully double our operations again and double our revenue again. So not really introducing new product lines specifically, but more strengthening what we already have, because I'd say, you know, after that two and a half, three years, we have a good brand with a good product market fit and just, you know, blasting through and creating even more revenue with what, what we could say are our golden goose. There you go. No, and I think it's incredible. And I guess working towards wrapping up just briefly for someone who might not even know, okay, how do I understand when it's time to scale up? What was that kind of moment for you where you were like, okay, I've, I've aced being a startup. What's the next step? Was it, I've got this many products or was it, I'm, I've got this many people in my team? No, it actually came with a crisis. So this is a beautiful and funny story. At least now it's resolved. Um, when we hit record numbers um, a few months back, we realized that, yeah, the scale we were trying to operate on, the team was just so small, so inexperienced, and our systems just didn't, you know, didn't hack it. <laughs> and that's how we raked up our first one-star reviews, not because of the product, but because, you know, the shipping, the shipping was delayed. Um, so many things like it's, I remember, and then I just was zoning out and thinking of Mark Zuckerberg saying, move fast and break things. And I'm like, I guess I, I got to that point when I realized so many angry customers because they're not getting their product on time. And until we reached that level, and then we also realized that, oh my goodness, you know, we could actually operate at that level already, but we can't continue on at this, at this, you know, level of systems. I'd say it's very Jurassic when, when you want to be, you know, operating and giving the best customer service to your customers from end to end, not only a good product experience, but also a seamless delivery and, you know, unboxing and, and all that. So um, that was, yeah, about a quarter ago. And then, so starting January, February, March, we've been just trying to um, slowly pull off what we're operating at the level we're operating on. And then finally at um, the last two weeks before Easter breaks, that's when we're going to just do an internal audit of, okay, these are the changes that we need to implement. So everything has been on beta since 2021 began because of that crisis. And yeah, we're thankful, you know, we learn more when we lose than when we win, I'd say. And those one-star reviews really, you know, up, up, leveled up our commitment to do better. Because to me, I, I cried when I, when I read my first one-star reviews. And it's just part of every founder's journey, of course. You can't please everybody and there will come a point when, yeah. We just have to learn from that. <laughs> I think that's great insight because, you know, obviously no one wants one-star reviews, but I guess when you, you're at a certain capacity, you know, you need to start thinking, okay, how can I better my community? How can I make that user experience 10x and just so much better? And I think that's really interesting and I'm sure a lot of people will value that insight that you just shared. But I guess working towards wrapping up, when you first discovered Start and Scale, you moved to Belgium did you ever think that you would be where you are right now? No, not at all. That's, that's what makes it very exciting. And for me, 
what should be constant is your desire to learn and educate yourself with new things so that you can adapt, especially to, you know, new environments or, or circumstances that you would never have expected to happen, just like COVID, you know, and because of that, that being part of your discipline, always learning, always educating yourself, always understanding how you can adapt, no matter what circumstances. It's going to be difficult. You know, I've shed a lot of tears and, you know, thrown tantrums <laughs> because of, of the difficulties, but because I made it my value to always have education first and foremost, to upgrade myself to, for constant and never ending improvement, then it's always helped. And Start and Scale is, yeah, a course that I, of course, swear by. I, I'm a product of it. And, and even before Start and Scale was there, those little quotes from founders Instagram in the, in the wee days when you guys were also just starting, I, that, those got me through my sales and marketing career formerly. And, and yeah, I was telling my husband, like, you, you have no idea, um, like you have no idea who just emailed me and I'm going to be on a podcast that I was listening to before. <laughs> so he's like, right, really? I'm like, yeah. So cool. it's crazy how it comes full circle in the end. And we're very, very lucky to have you here. And I'm blessed to be able to talk to you about this journey. But I guess the last thing that I will ask you Thank before you. we wrap up is if someone was sitting in your shoes where you were in 2018, being on the fence, what advice would you give to them to just, you know, I guess, start? What, what would be your best bit of advice? I'd say coming from my experience now as a mom, and I read this quote as well, and it gets me through the difficult days. I'd say the days are long, but the years are short. And that speaks to many um, moms because, yeah, we see our kids grow before our very eyes and then it's like, where the years go? And in terms of an entrepreneurial journey, it's the same. You'll feel like, ah, oh, these are the most dreadful days, nothing's happening, nothing's progressing. But if you just keep pushing on, keep, you know, focused on your target, work on yourself, improving 1% every day, then when you look back, wow, the years just flew by and you're going to be proud of yourself and what you have achieved as long as you just keep going. There you go. Incredible. Thank you so much for taking the time and sit with me and talk about your whole journey. It's definitely one that's inspired me. Thank you, Molly. No, and I'm sure a lot of people listening will just really greatly appreciate it. So thank you, Mia, again. And uh, I'm very excited to keep up with your journey. Thank you. I'm always happy to be, yes, part of the founder family and community. Thank you again for this opportunity as well. Hey guys, we hope you're loving From Zero to Founder and you're getting a ton of value from it. If you want access to the exact free training that led today's founder to where they are now, head to founder.com slash e-commerce training or follow the link in the show notes.